You are listening to the number one Toyota truck and SUV podcast, Toyota Trucks and Trails, with discussions from restorations to racing, interviews with folks from all areas of the Toyota community, product and event reviews, and much more. We are sure to offer something for you, so sit back and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to Toyota Trucks and Trails podcast episode 42. I am your host, Jason Hoffman. With me as usual is the, uh, dang it Rich, I'm, I'm just running out of running out of uh, intros for you. I'm going to have to work on this a little bit. But anyway, our, our co-host, Rich LaRusso. How you doing, Rich? Outstanding. And uh, 42 is, is, is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Is that does that number hold you know some kind of uh, posterity? I'm appealing to our sci-fi fans who may be uh, Douglas Adams readers. Uh, if you've read uh, and and the movie doesn't doesn't apply, but if you've read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, then you uh, you will understand the 42 reference. Hmm. And uh, if you haven't, I strongly encourage uh, anyone to read that book, uh, even if you're not a sci-fi fan, because it will change your life. I, I'm. I'm starting to think that we we deserve some residuals from from sales of that book because I believe that's like the third time that it's been brought up on this podcast. So, um, has it? I, I mean, I grew up with that stuff, so you know, I I hear the number forty two, and it's just you know, it's like genetically ingrained at this point. I'll have to check into that. Maybe they maybe they make an audiobook version of it that I can listen to going on the road, going down the road, because I don't think I've I don't think I've ever listened to it. It, or, it, they absolutely it, do, it, and um, I don't know. I'm sure they have different people reading it. Um, the the version uh, of the audiobook that I had several years ago uh, was read by this guy, older guy with an English accent, and it was it was great. I think it might have been the author himself. So, but it is British humor. So sometimes it takes a couple of couple of tries to get your head around it, catch on to it. I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, uh, <clears throat> pardon me. Since uh, since the last time we chatted, have you had uh, had anything going on exciting in in the world of of Toyotas in in your life? Um, not too much for me. Um, you know, again, I'm in wind down of my last project and uh, had to put my parking brakes back together. Which uh, those of our listeners who have done parking brakes on the newer Toyotas know that that is no small achievement. Um, for some reason, it went really well other than the fact that some of the old parking brakes that i was supposed to save i i misplaced or i don't know you know i'm going to find them next week but needless to say i had to order a couple of parts from toyota um, so if you do your parking brakes don't throw out all your old parts because you're going to need some of them for the you know they don't come in the the brake hardware kit and you, the only way to get them is from toyota so a tip for our listeners um and, and if you're really smart you will have someone else do the parking brakes for <laughs> you <laughs> you because um you know i've done it a couple of times and this time it, it went together very easy for me um you know i don't know why i i don't know if it's because the planets are lined up a certain way or what but i've struggled with this job in the past to the point where i've actually warned people man you know if you do this, you, you, you buy an extra set of brake hardware because you'll probably break some putting it together. And it just went together like like I knew what I was doing or something. It was incredible. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm sure that you do know what you're doing. 
it's a good idea to with any project to not dispose of, of any of the uh, the factory parts until you you have things back together and it's it's buttoned up but I've I've been guilty of that as well too um, not necessarily getting getting rid of stuff but uh, things tend to get a little scattered for me at times and like you just said when I'm when I'm done with the project and after I've waited three days for something to show up in the mail the uh, whatever you know particular part that I was looking for just suddenly surfaces in <laughs> the most unexpected place so absolutely um, <clears throat> I well one side I definitely had to buy a couple of new parts for because uh, for some reason the parking brakes let loose inside the <laughs> inside there uh, on a on a uh, washboard road and the hub just chewed them up you know the the stud the uh, back of the uh, wheel studs uh, was just like teeth and just ground everything up and things were pretty beat up in there and um, I got them uh, straightened out but it was uh, you know when I when I pulled that hub off it was just this rain of chewed up metal that was all the old brake parts and the brake pads and everything so that was quite a mess and I had to replace that stuff so yeah, once I, again Toyota OEM to the rescue I remember that 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 happened on the side of a trail or the beginning of a trail ride or something like that when when your emergency brake or parking brake rather come come apart is that right yeah we were headed up to northern Maine uh, to a base camp to begin a uh, four or five day uh, adventure it was a uh, navigational land rally and we had gotten off pavement and we had gotten onto some of the washboard logging roads and uh, that was where it decided to you know on some of those bumps just must have been the last straw for whatever was holding things together in there and the whole thing just went kaput and uh, we were I don't know a mile or two from camp so I said, well, that sounds like the parking brakes. Um, I think it's the parking brakes. So, you know, I'll just take it easy and we'll just roll to camp and hopefully. Uh, but I think at that point the damage was done and, you know, for driving on it further didn't hurt it any. Uh, in, in retrospect, I know that. But, you know, this was just an idea that I had when I was driving. So, I, yeah, I got to camp <clears throat> and I said, you know what? I'm just going to sit down, have a cold beer, eat a steak, and I will deal with this in the morning. And next morning, um, someone took video, and I haven't gotten in contact with that guy to get the video, but I had <clears throat> basically uh, jacked the axle up, pulled the wheel off, pulled the caliper off, and when I pulled the, the rotor off, there was just this shower of little metal bits and ground-up springs and brake pad and, and – or. Uh, brake shoe parking brake shoe i said i keep saying pads and i do know the difference between a parking brake shoe and a brake pad but i i say pad anyway but uh yeah it was it was just a mess so i took the parking brakes off on that side and zipped down you know parking zip died down the parking brake cable so it didn't rub against the hub buttoned it all back up and we went on our five-day adventure with uh, no issues at all so in fact, it, that side was very quiet. <laughs> it didn't have all that crap in it. <laughs> well, it's, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, it's good to hear that, that uh, you're getting things all back together on it, and, and uh, hopefully you'll not have any bugs creep up that cause 
cause any any big problems i know with all the work that you you just got done on the on the front end that um you know the possibility of of uh some things needing reworked and that kind of stuff is is a possibility but hopefully it won't be won't be anything too catastrophic yeah i'm struggling a little bit with uh the icons getting the ride height that i want um i think i'm actually going to have to they came with 650 pound springs they told me it would be enough but i think i really am going to need 700s so uh and i had initially asked for 700s but um after some discussion we we said well let's we think the 650s will be enough but i'm having to put so much preload on the adjuster that you know i'm not really feeling the magic so that's that's my current that's my first right off the bat that's my first tweak right there so i don't know if i'm gonna co continue to add preload there's a there's a couple other approaches i can try that were suggested to me uh one was to flip the top hat over so i might try that before other otherwise uh man i th tell you it rides really great and i have to you know i think we talked about this last episode i have to order some new rear shocks um getting the skid plates back on was you know that's always a job i think it took me about three hours to fight with it i had to re-tap and uh, reinstall a couple of nut certs because um my uh factory frame nuts they're long gone i think i had two left well now i've got one left because uh one of those surrendered and um <clears throat> i need to replace at least one skid plate and uh the bash plate that comes on the front of the arb bumper is like uh it's about the same quality as a stock skid plate so that's gotta be upgraded to something a little more heavy and uh, other than that um i'm trail ready you really need to put the refrigerator back in and and just you know uh load up the uh my my trail kits and try and uh try and and work the suspension around a little bit uh, i think i'm only a little bit lower on ride height so you know i'm not too concerned about any impact on trail performance i think it's gonna perform as as well as it does but everything is working so i'm happy about that well, I, I tried the other day when I was up in, in your part of the country to, to get you to bring it out. and, and uh, no, The skid plates weren't on when you well, called. Well, you could have brought them along. We'd taken a few minutes to throw, <laughs> throw it together. But no, a few you... minutes. <laughs> oh, I love your sense of humor, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> so so now the excuse is that, that we couldn't get the skid plates back on because the other day it was you had to work. I Folks, I don't know what kind of an excuse that is. Wheeling or work? I, I did have to work, okay, but if the skid plates were on it, it would have been a little bit easier to, you know, get out of work and bop over to Roush Creek. So give me that. Give me give me some of that. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, no, it would have been. I, I would have showed up there with the skid plates in the back and all the hardware, and you would have been like, why the heck did we decide to do this? <laughs> Well, it it would have been fun, yes, maybe, maybe, but it didn't work out. Yeah. Anyway. And and what did you get to see in the lovely area of? Uh, you were near Roush Creek. Where were you, Pine Grove? Uh, actually, I was on I seventy eight. Just uh, ran I seventy eight out of New Jersey over to to eighty one. So I was just just south of Roush Creek. What is that? Uh, thirty thirty ish miles, thirty five miles, something like that. So. <laughs> 
we, we should have a live stream for you so that you can let our listeners know that you're near an off-road park and they have to take you wheeling in their Toyota. That would be really cool. I, I uh, Some of our, our listeners out in California, um, I'm really wanting to get out and, and check some of those areas out. So, yeah, that, that, would, uh, that would be really, really cool. I think they'd be more than happy to take you out and uh, show you around. Well, uh, well, I'll start working on that. I don't know why I didn't think about that sooner. I didn't have a special lease. That's why you know I didn't suggest it. I, I didn't think about it you know, this time you did. So <laughs> thanks, for the, thanks for the thought. Uh, so what's, what's going on? I, I see uh, some cool pictures of some nice rear shocks going across your feed. Yeah, uh, it finally... Um, my uh my new icon shocks for the the rear of the forerunner showed up i'm i'm really uh anxious to get home and actually put my my hands on them uh my daughter did a uh, fantastic job of posing for a picture for facebook with them but uh uh looking looking forward to uh to getting them put on and and kind of kind of trying them out I, I we had talked about it with uh with yours i don't remember whether we discussed it on the on the show or or just when you and I were chatting, but uh, you had mentioned that you were <clears throat> so happy with the, the, you know, how the front end of, of yours felt. You felt really let down with how the how the rear end was was feeling, and and I'm hoping that I don't wind up in that same <clears throat> same boat, but opposite uh, with mine, because I definitely can't afford new new uh, coilovers for the front for as much as I would love to uh, as much as I would love to upgrade them from the Bilsteins that I currently have. It's not. Uh, it's not in the budget right now, but anxious to get these on and see how they see how they feel anyway. That's yeah. I, I look forward to your report on those. Now they're uh, they're icons and they're the monotube. Are they 2.0 or 2.5? Uh, 2.0. Okay. Yeah, they, I had discussed it uh, previously on on uh, on the show here. These are are actually the the part number is for a uh, a uh, Tacoma and not a Forerunner. And I don't uh, don't know exactly the reason that that uh, Dylan uh, Ewald, who we've we've had on the on the show before, uh, kind of recommended these to me. He said that he had ran that setup for for a long time on his and was was very happy with it. And I know he he openly admitted the reason he did it was because he had access to the shocks and just made them work. But they they ended up working very well for him and. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what you know what his criteria was for a, a shock to work work well, but uh, he said it it should be very similar to what the Bilsteins are, maybe a tad stiffer, and uh, which is is something that I've kind of been looking for anyway. And the the travel is is uh, considerably better, so uh, hopefully it'll be the answer to. Uh, broken shock eyes that I've been dealing with with the with the Bilsteins anyway. <clears throat> so it's the the bottom eye that's getting you? Yes, yep. Okay. Uh, well, I would imagine that being built for a Tacoma, they can probably handle the weight a little bit better and the I, shock a little bit better. I, I think that's that's kind of uh, what what the theory is behind them is they're, they're uh, designed to control a little more weight, I think. And uh, with the... Uh, the super superflex heavy springs that I've got, I think they'll they'll 
combine very well with that and with the additional weight. Um, I've got the tire carrier off of the Forerunner right now. Um, kind of, um, I had mentioned several episodes back about wanting to do a uh, wanting to do a different rear bumper, and that is still uh, it's still something that I want to do. Um, just trying to uh, to figure out exactly what direction I want to go with it and that kind of stuff. But uh, it, it will eventually have that weight added back to it, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. So uh, hopefully these these work out and it it uh, is as comfortable as it's always been. Like I said, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to getting them on. Hopefully, I'll get them on before ATR, which is uh, a week from when when we're recording this episode. And uh, if I can can get them put on and get everything put together, we'll try it out up there and and uh, kind of see a. Uh, see how it does yeah i mean if you if you can get in the an appointment with your mechanic who's uh, as i understand that your son um you, you should have a lot of time <laughs> well the these need uh they need a new bushing uh the the bushing has to be replaced in the bottom of them um which is uh, something that dylan you know told me about up front and i've got the bushings uh but uh that is uh, my son tends to get a little heavy-handed with things at times, and uh, I'm not sure that he has the right feel for uh, for the shock press quite yet to uh, to press bushings out of a brand new pair of shocks and and press new bushings in. So that'll that'll have to wait till I get home. Um, I, I would really hate to get that phone call of uh, Dad. I'm not sure what I did, but um, something broken. It ain't the press. So I I will. Uh, I'll have him hold off on that till till I get home. Yeah, they're 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 aluminum, right? So they're gonna mark up, and yeah, they're soft. You can't you can't can't bully that stuff. No, it uh, it's something that's you know pressing bushings in and out is not a not a terribly hard job. But like I said, when when uh, you get it, you you can get a little heavy handed with it and uh, end up doing some damage. So <clears throat> absolutely, and on a brand new pair of shocks like it's funny because you know we beat the snot out of stuff and and we scratch it up but when something's brand new if it gets a scratch on it we we tend to flip out isn't that weird i i am definitely that way definitely i, I want to keep it nice as long as i can if a rock does the damage i'm okay with it but if it's something that that happened because i was you know being overzealous or whatever i'm i'm not okay with that yeah self self self-inflicted damage is is absolutely the worst and and i i I'm guilty of that myself. I've always wrestled with, uh, you know, well, should I try and just hit it harder? <laughs> <laughs> I could, you know, <laughs> um, <clears throat> having the proper tools. But everything's brand new. The, the, the new bushing should, you know, I don't want to say fall out, but you should be able to get them out really easy. And, you know, the new the new ones are super easy to get in. You just some l- slap on some form of lubrication and <laughs> push them in. So should be should be easy stuff. Yeah, um, you know, to uh, to help the process along, he he knows that it's going to be kind of a, a crunch effort to uh, to get it ready to get it ready to go. And I think he's trying to avoid a a three o'clock in the morning swap uh, shock swap to to get it ready to go so he, he asked me the other, the other day is there anything i can do to to kind of prep for this and, and get ready to go and i told him i said well if you want to take the take the shocks off the forerunner that are on there now that would you know be 
half the battle out of the way. So hopefully it'll get that done, and when I get home I can get these prepped and ready to go, and all i got to do is install them and, and uh, everything, drive away. everything should be good to go. So Yeah, yeah, and, and even the monotubes, you know, version of icons, a lot of people say, well, you need external reservoirs. I don't really think you do. I think that's, you know, sort of overkill for what a lot of us do. Um, I, I think it's more of a racer sort of thing, you know. Um, these, so I think that the, those rear monotubes are going to blow away your Bilstein's. Bilstein's a good shock, but I, I consider them to be a little. Do you, tell me if you agree. And, and I know I'm I'm taking a risk here by giving my opinion on something, but I, I tend to consider the Bilstein's to be a little on the light duty side. Um, I, I I would have to say the same thing. I think they are a fantastic option as, uh, dare I say, kind of an entry-level shock. Not not that I don't want to portray that anything that I do is, is hardcore or anything, anything of the sort, but um, maybe I'm a little too abusive on, on my equipment for, uh, for what Bilstein's offer. Um, I, I've, I've said for years, I've mentioned it many times on the podcast that I've always been, always been very happy with, with how my Forerunner rode with the 5100s on her. They 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 did a fantastic job for ride quality and that kind of stuff. They just, um, my luck with them off road just has not been. Uh, they just haven't held up. So, uh, hopefully, this will be a little bit of an upgrade and and I can, uh, can get things to hold together a little bit better than what they have in the past anyway so i'm with you i don't want to uh i, I don't want to bash bill steam because i have no no reason to again they you know i've always always been happy with them if i could just get them to uh to stop falling apart i i also think it has a lot to do with the model of bill stains i i know most of us choose the 5100 which are sort of the tried and true um you know, off-road shock that they that they make. They have the model 6112, which is basically the look the uh, 5100 with uh, in, you know some some beefed up components. You know, thicker shafts and bigger shock body and stuff like that. So I think that that's uh, a, <clears throat> the option I I see people going with more often than than the uh, not more often, but when they want to continue to run Bilstein's but not you know, keep breaking 5100s. I've seen a lot of bottom stems on the front shocks of Bilstein's um, on Toyota IFS just bent, just in the shape of an L, just bent. Yeah, that, <clears throat> pardon me, that seems to be a really, really popular picture on, on the, the uh, Tacoma pages and, and uh, FJ Cruiser pages on uh, on social media for sure. Um, in in the, the, the third gen forerunner or or early tacoma luckily we don't have that stem off the bottom of the shock body uh the the on the front the the lower shock eye where it mounts to the the uh, lower control arm is right on the bottom of the shock body but that uh that stem that that bilstein uses from the shock body down on on the later model stuff um lord it just to me it just looks uh weakish i guess uh and then to to have seen all the all the pictures of them that like you said are just are are just folded over um seems to me like there's 
again, not trying to bash Bilstein, just seems to me like there's a, a possible design flaw there somewhere. Yeah, <clears throat> when you look at the um, model 6112 versus the model 5100, that that very stem that you're talking about is significantly thicker. And uh, the reason that stem exists is to clear the front axle. I had never even thought about that, but that, okay, all right, I, I understand that now. So, um, <clears throat> I, you know, I, you know, again, I, I don't think it's a bad shock, but I also think a lot of people um, don't realize the boundaries of some of the equipment. You know, they, they want a, a lift on a budget and they say they want to do mild off-roading, but when you're new, uh, everyone has a different idea what mild off-roading is. And I think people pushing their limits is a great thing. Um, but it's also, you know, when you are pushing your limits, you have to think, well, as a driver, I can handle this, but can my equipment <laughs> handle it? And pardon me, I, I think that progressing forward, um, we all have to, on some level, um, if we, we went with, on a budget going in, uh, expect there to be limitations. And uh, I think a lot of people kind of, for whatever reason, overlook that, uh, including myself. Um, I've, I've definitely been uh, in a position where I, where I did something on a budget to begin with, and then it just, uh, I exceeded what the limits of that were. And when, when it failed, I had no, you know, I couldn't, couldn't blame the product. Uh, I just it exceeded its, its limits. And <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, I think that happens to a lot of us. My, my point being that I, I think people need to, to understand that up front before they, they just openly bash a, a product or a company or something like that for, for a, an inferior product when um, it, a little bit of research would have, you know, indicated that maybe that wasn't the uh, wasn't the pro proper choice to begin with. Yeah, and there's that, and <clears throat> you know, there's the old adage that you know, bad news spreads faster than good news. So, you know, we've seen a handful of pictures of uh, bent 5100 shock stems, but who out there is really circulating pictures of their 5100s that are fine <laughs> and not having any problems, right? So there's that and you have to understand that you know and and this came up with the spc you know arms recently too where people were bashing the product saying oh you know those things break and i've seen it been caused by everything from you know whether it's a design flaw or poor construction uh and this is all in regards to the spcs even though i'm sort of switching gears um everything up to complete installation failure you know people just not using their heads when they put things together and not maintaining things so you know that that all comes into play but sure you know on social media oh those things are garbage don't put those on look at all these pictures of them broken you know and and you know what they don't see is you know especially with those folded over bill scenes they don't show you that picture of the guy you know going up the the uh embankment you know off-road embankment at 45 miles an hour with his front two wheels in the air and coming down on him and you know there's there's something to be said for you know 
what are the, what's the picture before the picture? I, I agree completely. And, uh, I, I think we all know that, uh, most people are not, uh, readily going to admit a, uh, misjudgment being polite on, the, on their part. So, uh, it, it all has to be taken with a grain of salt. And, uh, I, I'll stress with the issues that, that I've had with, with, uh, with the Bilstein shocks. It's simply my experience. Um, and, you know, I will continue to counter that with um, other than the fact that I, I've broken two shocks. Uh, I was always happy with how they, you know, how they performed. And that was one thing when I when I started looking for talking to people and trying to get some advice on <clears throat> on uh, what to do with this. Um you know, I, I, I openly ask people, look at this, if I'm abusing this somehow, or if, if, if I don't have something set up right, and there's something that I, I need to change, then I want to know to do that. I don't want to simply, you know, spend more money on a, a, uh, a different style of shock only, only to abuse, abuse it and overwork it and end up breaking it as well. You know, if, if, uh, limiting straps or, or changing my bump stops or, or you know whatever it takes to uh, to eliminate this issue is, is what I want to do it's not just uh, just the quick fix scenario so hopefully uh, I, I, I do plan on tweaking my bump stops a little bit and but I don't think it's a, a compression issue that uh, that I've been having but it's that that's something that I want to do and it's as far as the rest of it goes, it's just stuff that I'm going to keep a really close close eye on. And if I uh, if I come across anything else that that looks like it's an issue or or I think is is going to contribute to being an issue, it's it's something that I'm definitely going to try to get on top of and get taken care of. Do you think it's a uh, travel issue? Like you you don't have enough shock travel? Well, you know, initially when I when I broke the first one, I thought that's what the issue was, and the uh, this second set, the one that, that that just recently broke, is at the time, uh, Toy Tech was was offering what they they called a long travel shock, and and digging into it, it's simply a, a shock for an FJ Cruiser that has a longer longer body, and I went with that uh, because I thought I was overextending, you know, the the first set that I had. So when I replaced them, I replaced them with these these uh long the the long travel version and then ended up breaking one of one of those so if it's if it's a travel issue um and, and i'm using the the shock as a limit strap uh that's definitely something i need to look into but i don't think that's what it is um talking to dylan for for a, a fair amount of time about it uh his his idea is that that the link setup, the way the links are set up, and that kind of stuff, that the on the 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 third gen forerunner. Sorry, I got twisted up there a little bit. Um, that the axle just doesn't travel in a smooth arc, and that it just kind of puts things in a bind as it travels, and just with that that repeated repeated mind and if i'm misquoting him i i apologize but that's kind of what i got out of of what he said it's just uh 
more of a design flaw through through Toyota and, and not necessarily a des- design flaw through them either because they they didn't intend on the on that rear suspension to to flex the way that that uh, that we get them to flex off-road so it's just uh, it just wasn't designed to do that and the shock mounts weren't designed to to uh, move through that range of motion and and that kind of thing so and that actually makes a, a ton of sense um and, and a lot of this you know could go with you know control arms and things like that it comes down to really you know putting your suspension together and cycling it through and you know um without shocks on it or, or without springs on it even um just to see where where binding is happening and and things like that which i, I don't do that <laughs> i just bolt it all on <laughs> and see what happens you know um and i've certainly broken a few things like that but i th- i think that's you know the, the the risk we take if we don't do that test of psych completely cycling through suspension travel and looking for issues um yeah we're gonna you know when something breaks we either have to figure out why or you know if we are lucky enough to know why you know work on it i i almost wonder if so is on the third gen is your rear shock mount similar to you know like on the newer generations with that peg that sticks out the bottom and the the, the loop goes over it and yes yes it's the same basically the same as like on your fj cruiser yes so i wonder now and and this isn't you know this is just because we're nerding out on on this <laughs> and, um, but i wonder if if you know that's an opinion angle issue if if maybe maybe your upper arms aren't long enough or your lower arms are too long well you know that that was something that i i discussed with dylan and he said it's not not uncommon um just just speaking for my third gen because it's the only only one i have experience with i haven't haven't messed with my uh with my fj cruiser uh getting the rear shocks on with with the lift that i have is uh it's a workout um and and the reason that it's a workout is that the uh the shock mounts or the or the stem you know that the eye slides over on the bottom is actually angled slightly down uh a little bit and so you have to the the shock is in a bind at ride height because you have to push the the top of the shock backwards to to get the the top mount to line up um and I would imagine as that as that axle drops out, that angle, <clears throat> pardon me, only gets more severe on that lower on that lower mount. I'm not smart enough uh, when it when it comes to geometry to figure out what uh, what exactly needs done to to remedy that that situation. I know some of the the third gen builds that that I follow online and that kind of stuff. Guys have have moving move that shock mount up more towards the the middle of the axle but i think that's more to to just get it hangs so far below the axle i think it's more of a ground clearance issue for them than it is to to correct uh shock angle or or anything of that sort but um that's something else that i need to uh need to look into a little bit well i think part of the reason toyota does that is so that you can get travel out of the up travel out of the rear because you're you're gonna you know the, the shock has to be a certain length to get 
you know uh, enough compression and and uh, it, 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 I'm struggling on words here, but uh, full full extension. Um, it needs space to do that, and it still needs space to have fluid or gas to for, for expansion. So I think by moving the mount lower, um, that's how Toyota is able to fit a, a, a shock that has more travel. Because, I mean, these vehicles stock have quite a bit of wheel travel. I know people say, oh, you know, stock travel isn't anything. But for when you compare it to other vehicles out on the road, these, these things actually have quite a bit of travel in the, in the rear. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, and and I agree that that's the the reason they're <clears throat> pardon me they're designed the way they are. Um, I just don't know what needs changed about that design to uh, to create correct rather uh, some of those uh, engineering. And, and again, I don't I don't mean to refer to them as engineering flaws because for a factory setup they work fantastic, but. Um, for, you're you're way beyond that, <laughs> right? For for any modification, you, 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 one one project begates the next, and and yeah. it uh, I'm just in that in that zone right now of having to figure out what exactly what exactly I need to 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 change to uh, to correct that. So, any listeners have any advice? I'm I'm open to anything at this point. So, uh, throw throw it my way. I'll be happy to to consider anything at this point. Well, if you're bolting on the, the lower and then the upper needs to be pulled backwards, so then it's safe to assume that the whole diff needs to rotate clockwise slightly. And so that would mean either shortening the lower arms or lengthening the upper arms. That's 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 going to be the guess. And I'm anxious to hear what any listeners have to say. But I, I wanted to throw my vote in, and that's that's my vote. Well, and, and that pardon me, that would make complete sense. Um, and, uh, that may be what I have to do. Uh, you know, it may, it may come down to, I've, I've got adjustable lowers on it now. It may come down to, uh, to either having to get some, some longer fixed, fixed length uppers or, uh, go with, uh, go with adjustable uppers. But, uh, well, like I said, listeners, if you got some advice, I'm, I'm happy to hear it because I am no engineer. So, uh, <laughs> Like, like, you're you're an engineer. Yes, yes. Not non-engineer, non-engineer, <laughs> non-engineer. <laughs> I'm a I'm a guestioneer. <laughs> yes, yes. There you go. Perfect. Time. I've got a got a great skill for guessing, and for some reason, I hit one every now and then. Yep. Even a even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But anyway, that that's all I've I've had going on, you know. Just uh, did a did a few projects around the shop, and and uh, finally got a got an opportunity to uh, dig into the uh, spun wheel bearing that I had on my my car trailer. And other other than that, nothing nothing exciting. So, how's the how's the carnage on that trailer? Is uh, it? Uh, I know this isn't a Toyota topic, but we've been you know the the trailer is just a part of the, as much of a team as much a part of the team, the team as, as everything as, else. as anything else uh not not as bad as what i had what i had anticipated um i did have to uh did have to cut the inner inner race off I had to take a die grinder and, and cut the inner race in a couple of places to uh to get it off and it it did not luckily it did not gall the spindle where the uh where the bearing actually rides but it did gall the spindle right right past that 
so I need to uh, very carefully take a, a grinder with a flap wheel on it and see if I can can smooth some of that galling down a little bit to get a bearing slid back over it but otherwise I think it'll be all right yeah yeah hey, what's it like to replace that spindle is that expensive or intensive or no it, it's surprisingly cheap um, you can uh, for for what they call the idler spindle which is is or idler hub rather which is a, a non-brake hub uh, $35 for the hub with new bearings and, and everything already installed uh, the 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 brake hub is a little more expensive because it it you know has the brake drum and that kind of kind of stuff involved with it which both of those have to be replaced but it's uh i don't know 50 or 60 dollars for for the uh for the brake hub and and uh, that sort of thing it's not not going to be a, a bank breaker to get it fixed it's just a matter of getting the parts now that i've got it apart and figured out what all i need getting the uh getting the parts ordered and, and having them there when i get home to to get stuff thrown back together yeah yeah well hey you know if, and if you can smooth it out and save yourself 35 bucks you know that then you're the winner yeah it's it's going to take a little little time on my part but i'm a cheapskate so we'll we'll uh file things down or grind them down a little bit and, and uh, cross cross fingers every time i pull it to like build my confidence back up that the that the spindle is not going to break but it's not uh it's not in that bad of shape so I don't think they awesome. don't think they got tore up too bad, but uh, just uh, another project at the Hoffman household that's going to have to get to <laughs> Hoffman's garage. Yeah, yeah. O- open two days a- open two days a month. <laughs> Mine is open from uh, I think six p.m. to eleven p.m. <laughs> on any random night when I have the ambition to get out there and i am just so anxious to get on a trail i feel like i've been grounded for you know two months even though i haven't been grounded for two months i feel like i have been and uh really need to just get out on a trail and and uh, have some fun with this thing and iron out any any remaining quirks well i i, I think that we're all um you know this this is been a big project for you we, we talked about it the last episode i think everybody's kind of looking forward to uh looking forward to you getting out and trying it out and kind of giving some feedback um i think there's there's a lot of us including myself that are are somewhat living vi- vicariously through you you know it's a a, a a similar project to something that a lot of us would would uh like to do if if the stars all lined up and that kind of stuff and and we were able to do it so we're we're anxious to hear your reviews on it and what you think of it yeah it, I, I believe me i and and you know i'm gonna have something to say um, i just uh you know i i think that if if i had a helper and some dedicated time i could have done this in a few days uh front to back but just you know doing it after work and on weekends and when the weather was right or when i had the parts you know it was always something you, you know what I mean? It's it's just always something in the way. Um, <clears throat> you know, of course, I'm no mechanic. I can't get paid to build trucks every day. So if I want to do things right, they take twice as long, you know, especially when I don't know what I'm doing. So, you know, I, I think in retrospect, this shouldn't take this long. But, of course, I 
that's it, it just went how it went and uh but anyway all that aside um uh, nothing else uh interesting going on in toyota world um but we've got a pretty interesting show this week we've got a a what we call a landmark interview absolutely we we've been kind of kind of hyping this interview we we talked about it in the last episode and and kind of been hyping it on on social media and that kind of stuff and and folks it's just because we're uh we're excited to to have been able to do this interview and and excited to be able to bring it bring it to you folks um excited and 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 also very proud uh not just for the podcast but i'm proud of jason for you know he scored this this was this was his hard work and in putting this together and and uh doing all the you know running around in the background you know of course you know we don't have uh someone's cell phone number where we could just call them up and say well okay in some cases we do (laughs) but for for someone like like ivan stewart you know we don't have them on speed dial where we can say hey ivan you got five minutes to talk to us um you know there's there's a process where you have to go through his his um you know publicity people and and go through this and jason navigated all of that and you know they were uh as, as well, Jason, I'll let you tell it. They were very happy to work with us, weren't they? A, a, pardon me. Absolutely, it was a. Uh, it was really, really refreshing. I figured it was going to be a. a I don't want to say difficult process, but maybe a little bit over my head process. And uh, the the person that I, I dealt with up until you know actually talking to Ivan was very very responsive didn't didn't leave me hanging on anything um more than willing to to answer questions or or uh you know it didn't didn't back me into a corner asking me questions about how things would work or anything like that it was it was a very smooth very smooth process and uh, uh when i say smooth process i think the email chain totaled up to you know 35 emails back and forth or what whatever the case was but that uh that's just part of it. On one hand, I thoroughly enjoy that side of the podcast. It, it does get a little uh, frustrating at times, but this this particular, with this particular interview, it was uh, it was really just just painless and uh, made it that much uh, that much more enjoyable to uh, to be able to do the interview. You know, at the end of the day, so. Um, so for our listeners who aren't familiar with who Ivan Stewart is, um, well, Google it, you fools. It's Ivan Stewart. And <laughs> uh, But seriously, he's a very famous uh, race driver for Toyota trucks. Okay, I think Toyotas have been his thing since, well, you'll get to hear about that soon. Um, but he, he's certainly a, a personality. Um, Toyota is still, you know... Uh, very proud to sponsor him and uh, of course we were very happy to talk to him and <clears throat> i can't imagine you know if you if you fully realize who ivan is ivan iron man stewart um and i i can only imagine jason for you like what was it like when okay so you've gone through these 35 emails with this publicity team and you've gotten you've got a time you've got a date <clears throat> and now you're sitting the phone is ringing ivan stewart's going to pick up or or you're sitting and waiting for ivan stewart to call you i don't know how that worked but those moments leading up to 
uh, that. What was that like? Um, for me, uh, not being not being any kind of a media guy, um, and, and being being a fan uh, of Ivan, uh, I just had to keep telling myself, "Don't fanboy out! Don't fanboy out! Don't fan! Don't 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 be a dork! <laughs> you know, just try to." Uh, try to keep this as, as professional as, as possible. And going back and listening to the interview, um, I, I, I think I, I, you I, fanboyed I, up. <laughs> I, I fanboyed out. Um, <laughs> that's okay though. Not, uh, maybe not as bad as I could have, but, uh, it, it, it was still there none, nonetheless. And I, I, I hope the listeners understand that, that it, it Again, I don't mean to take anything away from anybody else that, you know, any other guests that we've had on the show. Uh, we, we thank the world and all of anybody that's willing to give us give us time to uh, to come on the podcast. But for for somebody like Ivan Stewart to to acknowledge uh, th- this little podcast and and for him to uh, to be as as enthusiastic as he was meant uh, meant a lot. And that that enthusiasm came through, um, even before I talked to him. Just with, uh, you know, within those those multiple emails and that kind of stuff, it was uh, there was, I mean, the immediate immediate response to to the inquiry about it was, well, yes, Mr. Stewart would be more than happy to to do an interview on on your podcast, and uh, so the, the that part of it made it made it easier, but. Uh, to answer your question, Rich, um, a very fast heartbeat, probably on the verge of, uh, of uh, hyperventilating, you know, all, all those uh, <laughs> but, butterflies in the stomach situation and, and, and all that stuff was, was more than uh, more than prevalent. Hopefully it doesn't come through in the interview that way, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that I was uh, felt it felt a little bit out of my element, I, I, I guess. Well, so I've listened to the interview, so I've got an edge on our listeners, but I think you did an outstanding job, and I, I think you loosened up as the interview went along. I think I think the first few uh, sentences might have been, you might have felt a little tightly wound, but I think uh, in, in the end, it, it was good, and hopefully... Uh, either Ivan himself or, or at least his team gets to, to hear this episode. And, uh, you know, we, we just want to express our, our appreciation for agreeing to do this. You know, this is, this is a rock star coming into the bar- backyard barbecue here. And, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're just super thrilled and super proud to, to, you know, that Ivan gave us his time like this. This is just great. And thank you very much, Ivan and, and your team. Pardon me. Absolutely. Um, I one one thing that that I I always want to do with with any any guests that we have on the show is is uh, make it uh, I guess beneficial for them and, and to uh, to have the best to offer them the best best quality that that we can and and that was one thing with this interview was. I wanted to uh, wanted to make sure that it was was up to par with with what uh, what Ivan is is used to doing. I mean, the guy uh, the guy out interviewed me by by far. Um, I, I had a list of questions written down and, and 
things that I, I wanted to ask, and the guy was has, has done this so many times that he was answering questions before I had a chance to ask ask them, which is, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, th- that being said, I, I'm sure that he has a certain expectation for, for uh, how he's portrayed, and uh, I wanted to make sure that I, I, I did that in, in a respectful manner and, and w- with a, a certain amount of quality, and I hope that it comes across that way. So, I think it does, and and I, I you know, again, I, I look forward to the feedback from our listeners, and hopefully from Ivan and his team. Absolutely, um, I, I hope that uh, you know. I've I've told you, Rich, several times that I I hope the listeners really enjoy this this episode and and uh, get something out of it and see that. Uh, as as the podcast that that we we are working really hard to to get the best guests that we can and the most informative and and entertaining uh information that that we can to uh to the community so i i hope that resonates and just so um just so our listeners fully appreciate the impact here um 35 emails out of jason that is that is a lot of work for him He worked hard, you know, for for a guy with two thumbs. That's that's quite a bit. That that, that that's a lot, especially for a guy that uh, probably two and a half years ago had never sent an email in his life. So, you know, to, to have one. I'm teasing you. I'm teasing. Well, I'm I'm being honest, but I appreciate it. <laughs> but but great job, Jason, and thank you, and thank you, Ivan and team. I know I've said that already, but. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to wear it out. Let's. I guess we should get on with it, huh? Absolutely. People are probably probably tired of listening to uh, listening to us yak. So let's uh, let's get into this interview. Okay, folks, joining me on the podcast right now, uh, this gentleman really needs no introduction. Um, Multiple-time Baja 500 champion, Baja 1000 champion, off-road racing legend, and a a legend within the Toyota community, Mr. Ivan Stewart. Ivan, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Oh, yeah, great, Jason. Anytime. You call me anytime and we'll talk. Well, I, I, I don't don't make that offer. I may hound you more than you care to be hounded. So, but uh, we're we're grateful that you you're willing to give us a little bit of time right right now to uh, inform our listeners of of. I don't know how anybody would not be familiar with who who Ivan Stewart is, but uh, we'll we'll move through a few things here. Um, if you don't mind, Mister Stewart. It, could could you take just a few minutes and and talk about how you initially got into uh, into off road racing? Sure. Well, I you know I was raised and I still do live in San Diego, California, and uh, I think that's probably kind of the uh, you know the starting place for off roading and off road racing uh, in Baja as well as the desert around Southern California. So in Las Vegas and Arizona, so it's all kind of off-road racing started and centered around, it still is, around uh, the south um, west part of the United States. So living in San Diego, it, I was very familiar with uh, off-road racing at the, at the very start, back in the early 60s, 
the Baja 1000, Baja 500 back in the uh, those very early 60s also. So, yeah, I'd heard about it, and, and when I was a uh, youngster growing up and raising my family, and and uh, and uh, I'd heard about the Baja 500, Baja 1000, and it became more intrigued with probably more, not so much the race as much as the adventure of going to Baja and, and competing and pre-running and just being down there in the wilds of Baja and, and uh, the off-road scene that was around uh, Southern California at that time, it just seemed very intriguing to me, the real adventure of this form of motorsports. I'd been involved uh, as a kid in a little bit of go-kart racing, and then I started racing dune buggies and, and followed the sport more and more, and, and uh, yeah, I just uh, was intrigued with it and been intrigued and still intrigued with it to this day. So it's, I think living in Southern California has kind of made it easy for me to, to get involved in off-roading and off-road racing. You know, if you live in in Florida or, you know, New Jersey or Milwaukee or someplace, there's not too many deserts down there. So it was pretty easy for me to get involved. Yeah, I, I grew up in, in the Midwest, and uh, I, I was, you know, familiar that, that desert racing existed and that kind of stuff, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like it was right in my back door. So it was never... Uh, never something that I tried to per- pursue or anything like that, but definitely watched it on TV and kept up with it in, in off-road magazines and that kind of stuff as much as I could. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's too bad because um, it's a form of racing that, that you really need, you know, you need your neighbors and your cousin and your brother-in-law and, and whoever you can find to help you work on the race car at night because it's typically it's, it's a grassroots form of racing is where it started and majority of it still is to this day so you need a lot of people to help you and if you don't live in southern california to get your brother-in-law and your (laughs) your niece and whoever it is to help you pit down there or wherever you're racing is pretty tough so that's why it's just i always felt a little sorry for people that came from other other places in the southwest here to try and compete because they didn't you know they didn't even speak the language i mean it's a whole new language and if you think about it speaking the language if you're going to golfing or tennis or whatever you want to get involved in that's the first thing you have to learn so i always encourage people to come down and including yourself to the baja 1000 baja 500 one of the off-road races and just watch you know just stand back and take it all in and you know the the, the two or the three big mexican races are just a big party and a a fun time to see mexico and watch the start and the finish of the race if you're at least watching the baja 500 where it comes back to finishing in Sonata, but yeah, I encourage people just to get down and watch, you know, nothing else, that's all, just get involved, meet people, and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, you know, volunteer yourself as a pit member someday, if you find a team that uh, you may want to work with or something, so that, you'd be amazed how often that happens where a guy can, or a woman can come down and, and, uh, and want to get involved and spread the word, and you never know, I helped a lady just recently, a young lady that wants to get involved as a driver in off-road racing, she's very good. And, uh, you know, she'd like to make it a career. But anyway, come down and get involved. That's what it's all about. That's awesome. It, it definitely, definitely something that I, I would like to do someday. Uh, at, at least get to experience it once. Um, and you, uh, should, you should do it once anyway. Just once to say I've been down there and I looked at it and it was, it looked either great or I didn't like it or something. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, uh, at... at throughout your career uh, and and early on i i think from from some of the research that i've done and that kind of stuff you were given given the nickname iron man 
Um, can, can you kind of fill us in on on the story of, of how that nickname came came about and that kind of thing? Yeah, that was actually something that uh, an award that the Valvoline Oil Company put up back in I believe it was in you know it had to be in the early '70s from what I remember '73 maybe in that, in that along that period. This was a big trophy and $500 to anybody that could race the the Baja 1000 or Baja 500 driving solo. And what that means is you had to sign up, you registered to drive in the race and paid your entry fee, you would be the only driver. And I think at that time it had to be a single seat vehicle uh, because in those days we had a lot of single seat vehicles. And at any rate, I, um, I was the first to win the Baja 500 uh, driving solo in the Valvoline Ironman Award. And then I backed it up that same year, I believe it was the same year in 1973 or 74, somewhere in there, I got a, I won the Baja 1000 driving solo. So someone, journalist, they started, uh, uh, and then I think I won it again, the, you know, the 75 or whatever it was, driving solo, and some of the journals picked up on it, and, and you, know, you know, this is Ivan, instead of Ivan Stewart, this is Ivan Ironman Stewart. And so I uh, became the Ironman by driving solo, and then I started driving for Toyota in 1984, 85. In there, I uh, I started when I drove. They built a single seater, and I continued to drive solo and win races. <laughs> Excuse me. Even though the award wasn't up, I I drove. You know, 99 percent of my career was driving solo. So that's and nobody does that anymore because nowadays when I was racing all the way up to 2000, um, there wasn't any GPSs. People didn't use a GPS. And now, in this day and age, everybody uses one in every class. So you have a lot more uh, references where the danger spots are and where the where the places to, to not get lost and the whys in the road that, that a lot of people used to get lost. So that doesn't happen anymore. But yeah, I started driving solo early on, and I went throughout my career driving solo. And, and it was really good in some some ways and then other ways I really wish I had somebody with me because it would have been a lot more fun at some times to share the experience and someone to back up the stories that I had to tell and what happened to me along the way so um, and the other part was the danger factor driving solo I mean uh, if you got hurt somewhere out in off-road race in the desert someplace there was no one to help you uh, and if you had a co-driver with you watching the gauges and leaving the GPS, and if you got hurt, then there was somebody to help you. But I never had that. So that my whole career was driving solo. Did did you, at, at some point, Ivan, did you end up just kind of de- deciding to do it that way? Or, or what what was the reasoning b- behind you uh, driving solo where most, most people didn't didn't do that? Was that just a decision on your part to do it that way or, or what was, what was the background behind that? Well, that, that's a good question because during those periods of time, I wasn't racing in the seventies. I wasn't racing professionally. I wasn't driving for full, full time for Toyota as a factory driver, but I was working in construction. So I was, you know, throughout my life, I've always kept myself in pretty good shape. So I could see a lot of times that, and then I had experimented with co-drivers that, that really uh, made mistakes where I could have, I got out of the race car at the halfway point, let's say the 250 mile mark, and I was still in good shape and I really wanted to continue on, but I had made this commitment that, to share the driving with somebody else. So 
early in my career, I realized that, you know, I really didn't want to lose a race because somebody else's mistake. The other part of it was that you had to share the, uh, the notoriety and the press and the, you know, and all the readers, you know, you're sharing this win with another person. So I was a little selfish there that I, why should I share the, the notoriety and this win with somebody when I really didn't need to? And I think, uh, you know, I think that's probably two of the main reasons and the money, you know, that, you know, that paid, if you got paid $500 from Valvoline or whoever it was for the win, and then you had other, you know, other money that you had, you know, chance of winning, you had to share it with another driver. And I never felt that I really needed another driver and never, and to this day, I would still drive, I would still drive solo today if I really wanted to drive and race the 500 to the 1,000. And there's other reasons, too, that would take me a long time to explain, you know, feeling for the car and if you hurt the car and I got out of it, I'd have to explain to somebody quick as I could at a pit someplace where you're, where you're changing drivers. You know, I hurt, you know, there's a rattle in the, in the right rear and I hit a rock with the left front and all these things. So I, you know, just for me, it just worked out better just to, to drive it solo. And, and, um, and then the other, the engineers, when I was racing for Toyota, in the like I say when they built the single seaters for me uh, um, the engineers liked the fact that they could balance it was lighter with one person as well as they could balance the car better with one car one person in the center so there's lots of reasons that's a great question well it you you did a fine fine job of it and and uh, created a a a legend around yourself whether whether you intended to or not that that's a, a fascinating story and and definitely some some mentions in there and things that i i wouldn't have thought about as as somebody on the outside looking in but that's that's very interesting yeah it's uh you know it's a it's a fa- as I say, say it's a fabulous form of racing and competing depending and it really doesn't matter what class you're in because you're you're competing in an, in an arena that if, and I tell this analogy all the time. If, if you're going to Watkins Glen and racing on a road circuit and road race, and I have nothing against road tra- racing, I'm fascinated by it, and I really wish in my career I'd have done more of it. But the road never changes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going to be true. One is going to be the same as it was 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Indianapolis hasn't changed in what, 50 some odd years now, or whatever. How many years they've been racing? You turn one, turn two, turn three, turn four. But in off road racing, the fascination to me was the fact that you're going somewhere for one, and the other is that no turn is exactly the same. There's not one turn down in Mexico, and believe me, there's millions of them. Uh, they're the same. So that was the fascinating part of it for me, too, is the fact that it was just such an adventure that you had to race it day and night, and if the fog came in, you had to st- still continue to race, but the clock is still running as long as this race is going. If it rains, it snows, the wind blows, like I say, the fog comes in. These are things you have to deal with that you don't deal with in any other form of racing. So that's that's why you know, I think I was and still am just intrigued by it. It's just, uh, and I have so many stories that have that have happened to me that that are unbelievable that you can never tell. And if you raced Indianapolis, and again, I had nothing against Indianapolis racing, but how often does a cow run out in front of you or a horse, right, or the fog come in at Indy? Those things just don't happen. So. Uh, that, you know, you can get, if you're, if you're venturesome and you, you know, and you, you're, uh, and you like the high risk and the, the, uh, you know, just going from point A to point B off of racing is your, your thing. Well, I, 
I, I enjoy enjoy off roading. I don't uh, I don't do do the racing side of it, obviously. But that those are a lot of the same reasons that I, I enjoy enjoy just the hobby of of off roading is just uh, what whatever uh, whatever's put in front of you, you just kind of adapt to it and 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 move along. And it, it it's all about the event adventure. But uh, adding the racing element to it and and the excitement of that would be uh, that would be incredible. I would think. Well, you're you're exactly right. And off-roading, off-roading is kind of the start of off-road racing. And, and off-road racing is not for everybody. Off-roading is not for everybody. But if you're adventuresome and you, you buy an SUV, or in, in this day and age, you can buy some fantastic right-out-of-the-factory SUVs and four-wheel drives that'll take you anywhere in Mexico or anywhere, provided you drive it within its parameters. So if that's intriguing to you, then you know what I tell people is the same thing. You must be, you must not mind the dirt in your face and a little mud on your foot once in a while, and the adventure of getting stuck and getting unstuck and going up a hill and down a hill and all that you can learn doing this. That's kind of the start of you may like to watch an off-road race, or you may want to get involved and help a guy. Maybe not want to ride in the race car, or you want to help somebody work in the race car. This is a great opportunity. This can't happen. Doesn't happen in Indianapolis, Indianapolis or, or Rhode Island, or you know or the you know the Perry Dakar. Even it's very hard to get involved. We're off road in off roading and off road racing is real easy to get involved because they people need you. They need the support. So it's uh, you know as long as you want to volunteer your time, but off roading in general is just is is really is really fun, and I I agree with you 100. percent Yeah, for for me it's it's definitely all about all about the adventure that uh that's the 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 biggest part of it is is just getting out and and seeing things that the average person doesn't get to uh doesn't get to see so and i encourage people to go to uh, to new places all the time i'm sure you do it and most everybody does you want to go back to the same place all the time but maha is a fantastic place to go you just need to if, if somebody, your listeners or yourself, would want to go to Baja and explore Baja and see some of the, you can drive on the Baja 500 course or Baja 1000 course, and, as long as they're not racing on it. <coughs> but you really need to have somebody go with you that kind of can show you the ropes the first time. But yeah, there's great adventures. I mean, you'll never, neither one of us will ever live to see all the off-road adventure trails there are around just the United States, not to mention other places in the world. Right. Well, um, just uh, to to keep moving along here, um, how did uh, how did your involvement with with Toyota in the early eighties how did how did that all take place? Well, I've been I've been racing like I say go karts and dune buggies and building a reputation. I had won you know the Ironman title three times and and uh, in about nineteen eighty must have been 82 i guess it was that i got a phone call from a good friend of mine at the time that was uh involved and heavily involved in off-road racing uh, with his dad and racing dune buggies and and mickey thompson mickey thompson was was starting a series called the mickey thompson off-road grand prix series where he was taking off-road racing out of the desert and forming this series in front of people we started in riverside uh, california uh was the first one with an enclosed Post course racing for off-road and then he was going to start this series uh with four races in la and then he was going to move it into the la coliseum and which he did and so 
my friend Cal Wells was going to put a proposal in to Toyota and some other sponsors to see if they would be interested in, in, in competing with Toyota trucks. And he wanted to build two trucks. So he called me and asked me if I would be, would I be interested? And, um, through a long conversation and, and, uh, different opportunities. And, and I told him, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll drive one. It was only four races. At the, it was the first series. So I said, sure, I'll drive one. And uh, we went out and he built it and we developed it and we raced it. And we ended up, we ended up, um, Winning a championship for the Toyota for the first the first year, and then the next year I, I he said you want to do this again? Toyota's happy they won a championship. Mickey Thompson's expanding this series and growing it. I said yeah, I'm having a good time. This is really fun. So yeah, that's kind of the start of it for for stadium racing. And then we won the championship. I think Mickey Thompson had his series for 13 years, and I think Toyota won the championship for 12 of the 13 years. We only lost the championship one time and one numerous numerous driver championships between uh, Mike Cope, which would be my teammates Robbie Gordon and Rob Rob uh, Rod Miller and some of the great drivers that I had for teammates so that was kind of the start of it and then and then we did this the Mickey Thompson series and then about about halfway through that series Cal convinced Toyota to let's go desert racing as well so we doing desert racing and stadium racing and since they had a shop and they had plenty of mechanics and engineers and all we went to uh, there for quite a few years we just raced mickey thompson series as well as desert so it was, it was a great great relationship all the way up to the year 2000 with pardon me which yeah i'm sure they both offered their own excitement levels and, and and downsides and that kind of stuff but just for you personally which which did you enjoy more the the stadium series or or the the uh the uh desert racing that, that's another good question because i could see that my driving style, because I had learned in desert racing to take care of the equipment, you know, you, you have to get the equipment. You have to race against the other competitors you're competing against, but you also have to beat the desert. So I was always just a little too, a little bit too conservative in stadium racing. But I can certainly see that the stadium racing was providing opportunities for Toyota and all of the sponsors to get racing in front of the, the spectators. And we raced in the Coliseum. I believe it was with, you know, one time we had 40,000 people in there watching us compete at Anaheim, I believe it was. So I could see the opportunities for the sponsors and for myself and for Cal Wells in the longevity of, of, uh, of myself to be involved professionally. Stadium was really important, but, but desert racing was always my favorite and it fit my driving style better. Good, good question though. Well, that, I, 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 the way that I see it, that with without you guys doing the 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 uh, the stadium racing and that kind of stuff, and was Toyota at the time? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Toyota at the time kind of had something to to prove to uh, to the American public in, in in that back in those days, you know, Toyota Tacoma now is is the number one selling midsize truck in the country, but back back in those days. Uh, Toyota had something something to prove, so get them getting involved and then having drivers like yourself that that were were winning races and championships and that kind of stuff. Um, do you think that 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 played a, a big role in growing Toyota's uh, market marketplace here in in North America, at, at least in the truck market? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind because 
you know, you know, a lot of your your listeners may not remember back in the uh, in the real early '80s. I mean, there was a you know an imported truck uh, from Japan. Really, was a didn't have a lot of didn't have a lot of uh, recognition in the industry. I mean, it had a you know it had some identity, but it really didn't wasn't proven as a tough, reliable truck. There's no doubt in my mind that we, and I'm really proud of the fact that we, a small group of people, Precision Preparation for one, uh, that company, and then Toyota Motorsports is another division, and then the advertising agency and Masashi Masashi at the time, they really took advantage of the fact that, that we were winning these races, and we kept winning, and we were beating the domestic trucks, and we beat them again, and we beat them again. And and uh, they advertise it. Toyota advertise it. I mean, there's no no doubt in my mind that we helped build the brand of the of the Tacoma because majority of the time that we raced, all oh, stadium was was in a uh, in a Tacoma in a Tacoma branded truck, uh, a Toyota Tacoma rather branded truck, uh, and even in the desert. So I mean, it was it was uh, no doubt that we helped build that brand. I mean, there's uh, I'm really proud of that. Probably as proud of that as anything. That just a small group. It was uh, you know, 300 people that helped. That really helped do that. Well, I, I'm glad that you that you guys did because uh, with without without your racing career and you know the wins that that you had and and like I said the championships that that were won and that sort of thing. Uh, I, I don't know if the Toyota the Toyota trucks that we all all know and love now would would even exist. Whether uh, whether Toyota would have would have put uh, put the effort into to to developing the Tacoma into the truck that it is today. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. And the other, I won't name all the brands. When we started in '83, there was lots. I mean, probably five or six or seven different brands of uh, small trucks, small compact trucks. That raced in the stadiums that are no longer even manufactured. They don't even they don't even exist. <laughs> and Toyota has risen to number one. So, again, that's probably one of my proudest. You know, to be a part of that, a small part. I mean, you know, as a driver, you know, we get a lot of the recognition and we get to do the interviews and stuff. But I mean, the engineers and the mechanics and all the people that pitted for us and helicopter pilots and everybody that was involved in winning and building help Toyota building that building their brand in the truck market uh, you know it was, it was a fantastic time to be involved in racing I mean it was uh, wasn't me alone I'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> well it, it is very admirable of you to, uh, to to give so much credit to those that that supported you behind the scenes and that kind of stuff it it uh, it does take a, 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 a vast group of people like that to to, to make a winning team and, and to build that, the, the brand that, that the whole group of you ended up building over the years. Yeah. Like I say, I just, it's just, uh, you know, when I look back on it, the friends that I've made and the, you know, the accomplishments and the, and the, the things I got a, had a great, fantastic chance to do through motorsports and through Toyota. And, you know, I had a chance to ride in a, an hour with the blue angels one time and, I've taken trips to Japan and to China and traveling and racing in Mexico. And I mean, it's been a fantastic, fantastic life for me and everybody I've ever talked to. I stay in touch with my friends, uh, people that we used to race with at, at the, you know, the mechanics and engineers and all through Facebook and, and uh, stay in touch with them. They all admit the same thing. We have such great, fantastic, fun memories 
during that period of time that we wouldn't trade those. I wouldn't trade my memories for anything. <laughs> that's more important than probably everything is the great memories that I've had. Well, that's that's what what life should be about is is creating memories and and being being able to look back and and uh, remember, uh, uh, you, you know, all the all all the good times in life. So that's that's awesome that that you got to experience that. But you you brought something up in in, in the conversation here that uh, with with all the things that that racing has brought to you like the, the video game deal and and the signature series tundra and and, and those sort of things um if you don't mind ivan take a minute and, and talk about some of that stuff how how did the uh how did the the video game and and that sort of stuff come to be well i think it, i think it probably because when i went when i started driving for toyota i was i was one of probably an older driver i think i was 37 years old you know i had you know, I had kids at home, and I was you know, raising a family, and mortgage payments, and car payments, and all those things. So I, and I was old enough to realize that part of racing uh, for a factory was the actual driving of the race car was just a very small part of what I had to do, what my responsibilities were. That's the way I looked at it. That was just that was just kind of the fun part of my my occupation at that time. So marketing and generating opportunities. Um, to build the brand, and not only for Toyota, but we all, because we had other sponsors, you know, BF Goodrich, Yokohama Tires, and some of those other folks. TRD was a huge player. I forgot to mention Toyota Racing Development. They built our engines for us and su- supported us in huge ways. You know, so I realized that whenever I I, I was I was uh, approached to do this arcade game after one of the races in San Diego, and it's a long story, not it's too long for this, <laughs> this interview, but. <laughs> That, that I would do the arcade game, providing they would they would on the marquee use a picture of my Toyota truck that showed all of the the logos and sponsors of my uh, that I had at the time. So those things I understood. I mean, I understood because I think I was older and I really didn't want to go back into construction. That if I worked hard at this, winning races and winning championships, and doing interviews and learning how to public speak, public speaking and and. Uh, and doing things that I could do in the arcade games and models that I, we did some, you know, models uh, of, of the Toyota truck. My sponsor was a big part of it. So all those things that, you know, sometimes you hit the timing right, sometimes you hit it wrong. I hit it absolutely perfect for my age, maturity. I probably, in my earlier days, when I was 20, 21 years old, I wouldn't have understood the importance of all these other things that had to go along with driving race cars. You know, uh, so yeah, the, the timing that I was the right age, I had some experience and some other things I didn't want to do, and uh, and uh, you know, I have really good people around us and engineers and, and people that had a vision of what we could do long term. So I think it's, I think that I was really fortunate to be, and all these things came together and culminated into uh, a passion for me. And, and I think it's it's important that anybody, whatever occupation you get into. If you just like, kind of like to do it, or you'd really like to do it, or if you have a burning desire, is even better, and a passion. And I had a passion and a burning desire to do everything I could do in motorsports. And I was fortunate enough to see all my dreams come true. I don't think I've ever, <laughs> I don't think I've had anything, oh, a couple little things that weren't important. I, I kind of always wanted to race the Perry Dakar, but it wasn't really that important to me. It was too late, and and opportunities weren't there. But no, I've had some great, great stories, and one 
fun times. I wouldn't change them, like I say, for anything. Well, a- a- again, you 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 just just brought brought something up that I was going to ask you about. Um, you you are are famous for for your off road racing, but that's not the only not the only racing that you've done over the years. Is that that correct? You competed in the Pikes Peak race at one time, and and different things like that. Are are there other other racing ventures that, that you can take just a minute and, and discuss? Well, you know, just I think my racing dune buggies in the early days, I mean, that's, that was off-road racing, but still it was a, a form of racing that wasn't, wasn't on the professional level. And the go-kart days were always a lot of fun. Pikes Peak, uh, I got to, you know, I haven't really done now that I was so involved in off-road racing between the testing and developing race trucks and pre-running because pre-running takes a lot of time, so I really didn't have time to perform. But, you know, I had some heroes that I, some goals that I had set that I always wanted. Parnelli Jones was one of my biggest heroes. And I always wanted to ride with Parnelli in an off-road race car, and I did that. And I wanted to ride with Dan Gurney, and I rode with Dan Gurney, and I rode with uh, Rod Millen, who was a fantastic driver and still is. Uh, Walker Evans, these guys, they're all off, you know, they're off-road drivers and road racing guys, but I had a, you know, a fascination with their abilities, and I got a chance to ride with them. But as far as other forms of racing, like I say, I think that I could have excelled in, in road racing um, because that was kind of a, interesting to me, but I just really didn't take the, the time and didn't have the opportunity to do it. But uh, Robbie Gordon was another one that was a teammate of mine who's, who's gone on to do lots and lots of different forms of racing. But remember, the difference with Robbie Gordon and myself, like I said, I didn't start until I was like 37 I was raising kids. Well, Robbie started, Robbie Gordon started when he was probably 14 years old racing, 15 years old, and he's still doing it. I mean, that's all he's ever done his whole life. So he had a, quite a head jump, a head start on me. So but I don't have any regrets. I mean, it just, uh, yeah, other forms of racing, there just wasn't the opportunities anymore. Well, I- could could you take just I know you can't get into to all the details of it, but for those of us that have have, have never experienced a a desert race, um, can, can you kind of run us through what the what the process is of of getting prepared for for a, a desert race and and just kind of run through what what the process is of of the race itself and and that kind of stuff. It, uh, you don't have to like, take a lot of time, but just if you can do it, do it briefly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, if you were going to raise a stock truck or a hundred, you know, half million dollar, three quarters of a million dollar trophy truck, it's always the same. You have to go out and you do your, your testing, making sure that the vehicle's running good and it's shifting good and the brakes are working, the throttle's not sticking, all these things. This all happened before the race, so it's a, what we call the testing or um, testing the vehicles basically and then you have to pre-run so you go down basically with your buddy that's going to ride with you in this day and age like I say there's I don't think any single seaters ride with you you have to um, pre-run the Baja 500 Baja 1000 which that means go down and practice the roads then you have to decide about every 100 miles or so you have to have a pit uh, a group of people that are going to pit for you because you're going to need a fresh tires you may need that. You're going to need gasoline for sure. You're going to need somebody to work in the car if it's if it's got a problem. So there's a lot of setting up to do for the the race before it actually starts. Um, sometimes, depending on what class you qualify for your starting position, normally they just draw out of a hat, and you have a starting position. And you're really racing the people within your class. 
So if you're in a stock class or a two-seat buggy or a single-seat buggy or what, whatever class you're involved in, you're, you're only racing within those people. Those are the people that you, you're racing against. Um, and then when they start the clock and they give you the green flag, the clock starts, and it doesn't stop until you get back to the finish line. But anytime that you want to stop and rest or you want to work in your car, <laughs> you know, you want to you want to have a sandwich or something, which <laughs> if you're very serious, you don't eat. Um, you don't stop and go as fast as you can, as far as you can to the finish line, and that, that would determine the the, uh, the winner. Now, that makes it sound awful simple, but part of the pre-running is also the fact that you're, as you're going through this practice lap, 500-mile practice lap, say the Baja 500, you're, you're making notes on your, on your GPS of the danger spots. So it might be a tree that's real close to the road. It might be a sharp corner that's not marked. So you mark all these danger spots and where there's a Y in the road, you mark those and so you don't get lost. In this day and age, nobody gets lost anymore because of the GPS. But anyway, that's just kind of a reader's digest version of what it takes to do an off-road race. But, it, but the rewards are fantastic. And the story, because I've told people, you'll never do a Baja 500, Baja 1000, a San Felipe 250 race without coming back with lots and lots of stories and things that happen to you. Because you can't get through one of these races without having some sort of a challenge getting stuck or almost getting stuck or just about hitting the tree or a cow run out in front of you all these things is going to happen so you're going to have adventures if you do it i i can i can only imagine um <laughs> what uh what are what are some of the the big differences from the way racing was offered or, or desert racing was uh, back when, when before you retired, and it compared to the to the way it is now, I, I I can can imagine there's there's just it, it, it's almost a different sport now. I would think. W- w- I mean, with the implementation of of GPS and that kind of stuff, and and some of the technology that goes into the into the trucks and and that sort of thing. Well, from we even back if you go back as far as nineteen seventy three to nineteen seventy two seventy three when I started. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, the changes. But I think probably the horsepower, the speed, the cost, I mean, those are just inevitable. That, that's always going to happen in motorsports unless you have somebody that's really con- trying to control those, those speeds. And it's, even if you have somebody like NASCAR trying to control it, they still go faster than you, you can imagine, faster than you think. But I think, I think that the horsepower is a big thing. The GPS makes a huge difference in no one getting lost because now everybody knows where all the danger spots are their GPS and their co-drivers feeding information to the driver. Probably one of the biggest things is, is the tire diameter and the suspension technology, shock absorbers, springs, and what people have learned. But tire diameter, if you, if you just think about it, when I started, you only had like a 30-inch tall tire. Now they're, they're 47, 47, 46, 47-inch tall tires they're racing with now. So those bumps that were big for a small tire are actually nothing for a big tire. So the bigger the tire diameter, the faster you can go, but you have to have the horsepower to pull a tire. You have to have bigger axles, bigger transmissions. Now you're going faster, so you need a more expensive ball joints and A-arms, and it just keeps increasing with the speed. And But the tire diameter has made a huge difference in the, in the speed the guys are going. See, then you big, di- big tire diameter, you got to have bigger motors. So I was racing five or 600 horsepower. Now it's, it's you know, the guy here guys are doing, running 800 horsepower now. So. There, there's the big difference in a nutshell. 
those are those are some things I wouldn't you know tire diameter and that kind of stuff are things I, I, I wouldn't even th- wouldn't even have thought about even though it's it's you know affected the the entire off-road industry as a whole that way but I, I, I guess I wouldn't have equated that to uh, to off-road racing the the GPS and stuff obviously you know people people think about including myself but the 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 and, and suspension you know uh, development and technology and that kind of stuff over the years I'm sure is, has played a big part but um, th- those are some some interesting things to think about, or things that I that that I wouldn't have thought about anyway. Yeah, tire 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 diameter is the biggest. I think for me personally, that's my opinion. Tire diameter. Once you develop that in suspension that can hold the tire, big tire, heavy. Plus, it's heavier now. Then you, everything else has to come around it. Bigger axles, like I say, and bigger shocks and bigger engines, bigger transmission, bigger cost. All those things go up. But the tire diameters. Is a huge one. So if you take a little bump and put it on your and roll a tire across a little bump, you know the, the little tire goes in the bump, and the great big tire. If you double the if you double the size of the tire, it doesn't even hardly know the bump is there. So that's that's the big thing. Well, that is uh, that's definitely like I said, interesting. It's something that I I, I wouldn't have thought about. Um, Ivan, to to keep from tying you up any any longer than I have to today. Um, what what is what is Ivan Stewart doing today? Where where is where are you at with? I know you're still still involved in in some ways in off road racing and that kind of stuff. What what are uh, what are some of the things that you're doing doing now? Well, you know, I'm probably you know I I've always equated my life as a as a fine balance of not doing too much of anything too much. <laughs> So if I'm spending a lot of time doing nothing, that's too much time doing nothing. If I'm working too much, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm semi-retired. And I, you know, like I say, I still have my contract with, personal services contract with Toyota. So I'm always looking and doing different opportunities around still helping Toyota build their, they don't need to build their brand anymore, but just keeping their name out in the off-road industry. So I'm, a lot of those things I'm doing through Toyota or with Toyota uh, doing a ride and drive, for example, we do a big ride and drive at uh, in a big event in Palm Desert by Palm Springs, um, a country western show where we give people rides. So we have sponsors and we let people ride, and we we hire a group of people and give uh, give rides to people off road and sliding brodies and that type of stuff. Yeah, I was uh, the grand marshal at the Baja 500 last year. Uh, it was part of my duties. Uh, I'll be going to the Toyota dealer show in the new facility in Plano, Texas this year. I mean, there's just lots and lots of events that, that I do. There's hard to, re- you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm flying to Texas on Monday to, for a meeting with Toyota with a group of people for some opportunities that are out there. So and I, have a, and I have a house in Mexico. I live in San Diego, but I've got a house in Baja, California. So I try and spend a lot of my winter time down there just busy. I mean, it just seems like there's always some, you know, I love to ride motorcycles and my wife and I just got back from a, a trip up to, uh, up to Northern California and Washington and Oregon. And we have some family up there and, you know, just, uh, I stay busy. <laughs> it's hard to say exactly all the things I do, but if I went through my calendar, it would be easier, but you know, interviews like this are important. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's spread the word and a lot of people are interested in off-roading and and I tell people that, you know, like I say, I, I mentioned earlier, if you want to go off-roading, you can buy a stock Tacoma right now, guarantee it, and go anywhere anywhere off-road that you practically, anywhere off-road you want to go. If you if you drive it within its parameters, that's that's the whole secret. So that's what I do. 
Well, that 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 kind of leads me into to the the last thing that I I, I wanted to ask you, Ivan. Um, just uh, Ivan Stewart's advice to to somebody that wanted to to get into into the opera or the the off road racing scene. What what uh, what advice would you give somebody that that had some interest in that and and uh, maybe other than just get out and just get out and do it? What 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 are some things that that you you might advise somebody that's that has some interest in 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 that? If they're interested in off road racing, like I said, like I was mentioning earlier, you know, I would you know go to one of the bigger races. Most of them are most of them are on the west coast. I mean, there's there's some in Southern California, like I say, Arizona, Nevada. Mexico, if you're not intimidated by Mexico, I mean, that's to me, that's the best and the most fun. The Baja 500s in June, uh, about the 1st of June, the 4th of June, somewhere around that area. And uh, about the middle of November is the Baja 1000. But like I say, you can, you know, fly San Diego in a car, out of state someplace, rent a car, go down to uh, Instant and watch the start, and then watch the finish for the 500. That's, that's a big one. Talk to people. You know, go to any of these off-road races, and like I say, there's around this area there's you know almost one every weekend somewhere you know just get involved learn you have to learn the, the language and the terminology first you know but but i mean as you as you around the sport more you learn it um introduce yourself if you're in southern california you know maybe volunteer services you know most ever all these guys that work out of their garage if you come over and you volunteer to clean the, the race car after the race and then pretty soon you're you're helping them change tires and pretty soon you're a pit person then you're going out by yourself somewhere in mexico to run your own pit and then maybe you get a chance to ride you have to start jump in there and volunteer and and you know don't be embarrassed or don't be afraid to ask silly questions because they're all we all started somewhere without knowing anything i did <laughs> but that's that's kind of it in a nutshell get your feet wet don't be afraid don't be intimidated ask questions learn You'd be surprised how fast you can have it. First of all, I tell people all the time, you got to have a dream come true. you got to have a dream. Then you got to follow up and and uh, take small steps and, and set some small goals, and you'll get there. Well, that, that is that is awesome, awesome advice, uh, and, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Ivan, I, I, again, I want to thank you for, for taking some time to uh, – to come on the podcast here you have been an ambassador for the toyota brand for a long time and uh i speaking for for my listeners and and the community as a whole we we appreciate everything that that you have done for for the toyota brand over the years okay yeah jason well thank you you know i appreciate that i really do and if you your listeners or if you have some more questions we'll get a time together and get your listeners to throw some questions out there too and we'll do this again it's been fun well that would that would be fantastic and and so much appreciated but i i don't want to uh i don't want to tie you up today and I, I know you just got back from a trip and and that kind of stuff and we'll let you relax and and uh, just enjoy some home time before you you head out to do something else uh fascinating and interesting Okay, great, Jason. Well, give me a call again sometime, anytime. All righty. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Okay, folks. Um, I, I Again, we, we talked about it before the interview, but um, really, really hoping that everybody enjoys this, enjoys this interview and uh, 
I want to want to take just a minute here to, uh, if you don't mind, Rich, to to mention, we we've got a lot more uh, interviews coming up in in future episodes. Uh, we we got an interview with with Big Mike from Marlin Crawler coming up in a future episode. Uh, Kurt Williams is going to be coming back on the show to uh, to talk about everything that that uh, or anything rather that. Uh, he's had going on in the world of Toyotas. I know he's had a, a, a really busy summer and, and got to, to do some really cool stuff this, this summer. I'm not sure all what, what, uh, what he's going to want to want to talk about, but everybody seems to enjoy it when Kurt's Kurt's on the show and, uh, uh, Mr. Baker from, from, uh, I guess it's, uh, born adventures now, uh, or, or bakes FJ as he's more, more commonly known for is, uh, is going to be making another appearance to uh, to discuss a trip that he's got got coming together. Um, so be sure to uh, be sure to keep checking out the the podcast. We've we've got a lot lot of stuff going on. That's right. And as the autumn approaches, uh, there tends to be another surge of, of events and happenings and things. So uh, you know we'll have some some cool events coverage and uh, event announcements uh, to make. So yeah, you know everybody wants to see those uh, those leaves change. Absolutely, <clears throat> pardon me. Absolutely, um, busy, busy, busy around here. So, um, Rich, do we, we? We should have done it before the interview, but do we have any news to uh, to cover this episode? News, news. We need one of those uh, news. Uh, you know the the little Morse code thing to, to play when. Uh, all right, never mind. I'll, I'll just I'll, read the news. I know what you're talking about. I'll work on that. Uh, Toyota and Mazda are teaming up to build a plant. And um, I'm not positive where this plant is going to be, but uh, there's there's been some, some um, rumors about it. It may be in California. It could be in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, we're really not sure where the plant is going to be, but... Um, they're going getting together for a 16 billion dollar project uh that's toyota and mazda for a shared plant in the united states toyota's investing half of that at 800 million and one of the plans for for this particular plant is uh some joint work between mazda and toyota on uh, electric car technology uh and now i understand some of our listeners are saying well what does this have to do with toyota trucks and trails well i'm glad you asked because we actually have that information um toyota wants to ramp up expansion in the united states uh and actually uh remove a good deal of it from mexico uh, and that should make our 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 president happy who you know sort of scorns toyota for its its uh investments in the mexican economy uh by having plants there so they're they're looking to to sort of pull things back uh, into the united states and ramp up an additional 60,000 tacomas out of its baja plant by 2018 um <clears throat> so Toyota's got some big plans for uh, ramping up truck production here in the United States. Uh, I know we also caught wind of some news that uh, the bottom-level Tacoma model is is no longer going to be available in a V6. That's going to be a four-four-cylinder, right? But that's not something that we're 
you know too concerned about but this expansion in the united states for for toyota i think it's it's a good thing not just for obviously consumers who are in the market for brand new vehicles but support for us that already you know own toyotas that uh we're probably going to be buried in because we invest so much in <laughs> right <laughs> um but you know who knows what this will bring you know hopefully this this uh, renewed push by Toyota into the into the U.S. market, uh, you know, who knows what it, what good good things it can bring with it. I tend to be a little optimistic and say, well, hey, maybe there's some cool new vehicles, you know, uh, on the way or on the way back, you know. And it's not like we don't know. We we we're just like every other car blog out there who likes to take guesses at things. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, I know that there's army a small army of people gathering saying that we they want the 70 series here in the states which i don't really ever foresee that happening um but that that's opinion of course if it did happen i think it would be great and i would support it 100 percent. but um who knows what toyota is going to do i think with an increased presence here in the united states i think it could mean good things for for everything well we can we can hope that that fuel prices stay reasonable like they have for the past few years i'm not you know, I, I stay away from calling them cheap because gas still isn't cheap. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> it's if, relative to our current economy. It, it is. It, it's re yes. reasonable. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. We're all knocking on wood now because you just jinxed us with that. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're superstitious, find something to knock on. But uh, my my point is with with uh, with Ford bringing right back the uh, the Bronco. Um, that, that's been announced. Uh, Ram Trucks is talking about bringing back the Ram Charger. Uh, you know, uh, Chevrolet has been working on a few things behind the scenes to uh, to bring back a, a decent, uh, more off-road capable um, SUV of some sort. Uh, the that, JL is coming out uh, uh, early 2018 or this winter. Right. Also, um, the Jeep JL, which is the diesel Jeep. Hopefully that will, uh, hopefully that'll kind of, uh, kick Toyota in the butt a little bit and, and, uh, not, not that they're not doing things now, you know, they, they offer the, uh, the TR, TRD Pro 4Runner and that kind of stuff, but, uh, that's, that's one vehicle out of a, a, a lineup of trucks that they could do a lot of, lot of stuff with, you know, in the SUV realm. And uh, I know there's a lot of folks that wish they would would bring the the FJ Cruiser back or or some variant of it. Uh, like Rich said, you know, it, it, there's another huge group of people or growing group of people at least that would would love to see the uh, the 70 series brought here. So uh, maybe with uh, maybe with some of these other other vehicles hitting the market, that'll that will inspire Toyota. Uh, you know, like like we just talked about with their their growing presence and manufacturing here in the here in the states to uh, to bring a modern uh, some modern competition for for some of these other other vehicles that are are uh, have been been announced by other companies. The 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 great thing that I see is there's there's always a few people who you know turn to these newer other you know market vehicles. Uh, you know, away from the Toyota because they feel like, well, I want to, I want a uh, Bronco or, or you know, I want a diesel Jeep or whatever. You know, there's a, there's always some people that feel that way. Um, but I also think that more than ever, I think, especially with the used market, what I see going through with the used market on FJ Cruisers, 
it seems like more people than ever are jumping into Toyotas and especially, you know, getting out off road. It, it doesn't seem like that's slowed down. If anything, it's gaining momentum. I, I agree completely. And, uh, I, I see nothing but good things in our future. Um, you know, any, anything additional would just be icing on the cake, but, uh, I think we'd, we'd all be excited to, uh, see anything other than Toyota's last concept vehicle, you know, become a reality. Oh, oh man. We almost made it like six months without that, <laughs> without even like getting the vision in my mind. I'm not going to even speak its name. Well, I, I won't go that far either, but, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, maybe they'll do something cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course we're being optimistic. We, we, we love our brand and, and we're loyal. And, and of course, you know, we, we know that they can make some mistakes. One of which would be that concept vehicle, <laughs> but the, the other thing could be, yeah, maybe they'll surprise us. Maybe they'll throw us a, a curveball with something cool. So, uh, who knows? But, uh, <clears throat> so, you know, something to, uh, something to look forward to. And of course that stuff takes years. It doesn't happen overnight. So, uh, in the meantime, we can all enjoy the fact that I've noticed uh, parts have gotten a lot cheaper well, that, for the newer generation stuff. That is a good thing, definitely. But do we we have anything else in that that area? No, uh, there's actually a ton of Toyota news going on out there for cars. So we don't care. We don't care about cars. This is Toyota trucks and trails. We don't care about cars. That's right. Just just trucks around here I, I believe there are toyota podcasts that cover that but we don't we don't associate with those those people that's right just trucks around here i think i said that once <laughs> <laughs> and trails and trails occasionally <laughs> when rich finally gets his fj cruiser put together and can actually hit a trail that's... my driveway is the hardest trail i've hit in two months that's my lame attempt at a guilt trip. So, you know what? I, I deserve it. I did well. I, I don't know. I don't know if I could have gotten this project done any sooner with my schedule and my lifestyle. We we cannot have a Toyota off-road podcast without the hosts off-roading. So, come on. Well, you know what? I did quite a bit in the first quarter of this year. Don't, <laughs> first half of this year. They don't count. You don't get to bank off-road trips. You don't get to do three and then skip nine and say, well, it all averages out. It doesn't work that way. Uh, what if I, okay. No. Whatever. The answer is no. Oh, you didn't come up here and start bolting shit on the truck either, buddy. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could have used the hand. Well. Could have taken a side. There's no reason why. <laughs> I, I would have been happy to do that. I, I, I would have been happy to. I had to All work. the parts were brand new. I repra- replaced every darn thing. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't I, even gotten dirty. <laughs> I had to work. Oh, oh, oh. So did I. <laughs> well, I, my point is that that excuse seemed to be relevant for you earlier, so I thought I'd just, <sighs> you know, try your own excuse against you. Well... You know, I might make. I might actually uh, work. I may actually make it to ATR. So, well, speaking of ATR, um, oh god, this guy again, Brett. We uh, <laughs> we got a 
an announcement to make here. Um, ATR is taking place August 30th through September 4th. Um, you guys have heard us talk about it uh, quite a bit. What does ATR stand for? Appalachian Toyota Roundup. I guess I could say oh, that. Oh, yeah. Um, taking place August 30, 31st through September 4th. That would be Labor Day weekend. Um, sadly, registration is already closed. So if, if you're not registered, I do not think... Uh, matter of fact, I'm pretty positive that they do not have a, a walk-up registration policy um, or a, a policy against that, rather. Uh, but that being said, it is, uh, it's is—it's going to be a big event this year. Um, Rich and I attended last year and, and covered the event last year, and, and uh, as Rich just, just stated, he may be able to make it this year. Um, may. I, I don't know what that means, but... Uh, I will definitely be there covering the covering the event, uh, and uh, Brett, the the organizer of Appalachian Toy Roundup, wanted us to uh, to mention uh, before the event they they are doing something a little different this year with a a charity raffle. Um, they've got some some big raffle prizes involved in in just this charity raffle. This is uh, alongside their their regular event raffle. Um, I'm not going to go through each one of these is listed out on their website if you want to check them out but uh, OEM Audio Plus is is donating a complete audio system for uh, for whatever vehicle you have uh, Forerunner, Tacoma, FJ Cruiser um, looks like it's valued at nearly $1,700 that's, that's a big prize uh, Armalite um, if you're, you're into things that go bang and bang again uh, Armalite is donating a uh, a 16 inch M M15 uh, tactical rifle uh, valued at at $1,600. Um, Who Adventure Motors is donating an ARB tent. There are some some big prizes in this this uh, charity raffle. Uh, Bud built uh, donating a five piece. Uh, set of skid plates. Uh, Highland Expedition Outfitters is donating a, a shadow wing shadow wing vehicle awning. If you're not familiar with those, uh, check out uh, HEO's website, which is uh, heooutfitters.com. What do you what do you think of those shadow wing awnings, Rich? I think I think they're great. Um, I, I kind of want one, and uh, you know it's not in the budget, certainly not for this year. Uh, but I, I have considered. Um, you know, grabbing one. Uh, I do love my ARB awning, but I, I just like the idea of something that, you know, covers more area. Right. And uh, that, that does. And, and honestly, uh, you can't deal with or find a, a better U.S. company than HEO Outfitters. That's Highland Expedition Outfitters. Uh, Jeff and, and Kate Oliver uh, run that business, and they are 100% U.S. made and they are just super nice people and uh you know people that are worth supporting uh in the community and they do come to quite a few toyota events and they're very supportive of us so i would certainly i would be happy to own one of one of jeff's products it's it they're handmade here in the united states i mean he actually spends the time to make stuff and his trailers are just over the top over they're the top. they're just beautiful um expedition type 
type off-road trailers. Very, very good stuff. And I, I can't, I'm sorry, I'm going off about it, but he, he's just such an impressive guy to talk to and, and his products are so impressive. So I will definitely take one of those awnings. We actually, <laughs> pardon me, we actually had Jeff on the show last year. At, uh, That's right. We interviewed him at uh, ATR at last, ATR last year. Last and if year. you're at ATR, definitely take a minute to say hello to Jeff and, and check out his work. Um, I think you'll be as impressed as, as we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, just a, a, a little bit more on this charity raffle. Um, like I said, it's going to work a little different than, than the regular raffle. Um, They're selling, selling tickets for just the charity raffle for a, a dollar a piece um, and uh, th these items um, if I understand correctly will have if you buy 10, 10 raffle tickets for instance you can put all 10 of those raffle tickets on whichever prize that, that you want to put them on um, they, they don't just go into one one collective pot and then be, be drawn out um, if you want the uh, the armor light rifle, for instance, you can can put all your tickets on that. Um, so uh, it, uh, like I said, some some big items in this, and and hopefully uh, hopefully through ATR they'll they'll be able to to raise a lot of money for uh, for Tread Lightly, who is their their uh, charity for this year. Yeah, hope so. All righty, do we have anything else, Rich? Um, no, I think we've uh, we've got quite an episode here, and, and before we let it run too long, uh, maybe we should just go home. I, I agree. Um, again, folks, I, I, I hope that you enjoyed the interview with uh, with Ivan Stewart. Um, it was a uh, it was an absolute pleasure to to uh, do the interview, and, and I hope that everybody hope that everybody enjoyed it. Um, like like we mentioned a little bit ago, we've got several more interviews coming up and guests on the show and that kind of stuff so uh just continue to uh to keep checking us out well thanks everybody and uh thanks for joining us and uh hope you enjoyed the interview and uh we'll be back uh, in two weeks with uh what are we going to come back with we got an interview with some some other guy uh, uh, <laughs> no he's more than just some other guy the the next full episode will probably be big mike from uh from marlin crawler so you can, can look forward to that Stuff. one good stuff marlin crawlers quality u.s made products there too absolutely and a a fantastic story be behind that company and uh, mike mike gets into all that through through the interview so it uh another another good interview hope everybody uh hope everybody comes back and and checks it out well great all righty, we'll close this down. Folks, as usual, if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so through our website, toyotatrucksandtrails.com. You can send us an email to toyotatrucksandtrails at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook uh, at Facebook slash TTAT Podcast. We are on Instagram uh, at Toyota Trucks and Trails Podcast. Um, still working on getting getting some more videos put up on, on YouTube, but we've, we've got a few there if you want to check them out. Um, Please just go to the website and click on the link. Until we uh, until we get enough subscribers on YouTube, we can't get a get a unique URL with with uh, Toyota Trucks and Trails. So if you if you go check out the videos, just hit hit subscribe. We won't uh, we won't wear you out with videos. I promise you. If that's not obvious from the nearly two years we've been working on getting some up. So. <laughs> uh. 
anyway, <clears throat> if uh, if you listen to us through iTunes, uh, please go to uh, to uh, yes Apple Podcasts and and subscribe, rate, and review. We we haven't got a a a, a review for for some time, and I always look forward to those. So not only do uh, are are they uplifting to me, but they they make us more uh, more visible through Google searches and and such not so makes it easier right yeah there could be other people out there with toyotas who you know desperately need to hear two grumpy old guys you know banter about uh rusty bolts right right um don't be don't be greedy and keep us all to yourselves um for that matter you know tell your friends about us and and share us on facebook and that sort of thing Oh yeah, uh, and also we're on Google Music, uh, which is sort of a new thing uh, for Google Music to have podcasts. It's not as uh, advanced as well, I don't want to say advanced, but it is as uh, you know well matured as the iTunes system with ratings and reviews. But um, they, you know, Google plans on adding that stuff. But we are on Google Music in the podcast category. Um, if you search for us, I couldn't tell you a URL because Google doesn't have friendly URLs for podcasts yet. They're this big string of letters and numbers still. Yeah, we we are there, and and if you want to find us there, just um, type it in the we, search we, box. We try to make it easy as as possible, but uh, some some things just take a little effort. So, yeah, you're gonna have to get those thumbs working. Absolutely. One, one more thing quick, folks. I, I almost forgot, but want to mention it before before we get out of here. Our uh, picture contest is going to be coming to a close here in just a... It, it'll be a few days after this episode releases. So uh, if, if you want to want to win that, that sticker and patch, um, make sure to get some, some people over to uh, to give your picture a like or get your picture posted and, and uh, encourage people to, uh, to give it a like. Because the uh, the voting on that will be be coming up very very soon. Yep, that's right. So don't you know? Tell your friends. Go have them vote. Do what you got to do. Don't play dirty, but you know, play a little dirty. But don't play dirty. Does that make sense? Be be, be fair to everybody. Yeah. Anyway. But do what you got to do. Right. Right. <laughs> who, who doesn't want a free sticker and a patch? So. Especially one of ours. Right. They are they are nice looking patches, aren't they? I think so. I think so. Of course, they're I'm, very high quality. I'm a little bit uh, biased, pre- prejudiced, or biased. Yeah. Don't say prejudiced. No. You can't say that word. I didn't say that. You I can't say that. Word. I take it back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Goodbye. I'm sure you folks are tired of listening to us to to buffoons. So. Uh, like I said, make sure and check out the next uh, next episode. Um, going to be going to be some more good interviews and that kind of stuff coming up. Um, hope y'all are looking forward to it. We will get out of here. Rich, if you're done, we're done. Yep. All righty, folks. Uh, as usual, however you go about it, get out and enjoy your Toyota. Rich, you have anything to add to that? <laughs> oh, I thought <laughs> I thought you were signing off with that. <laughs> uh, is this going to go in the blooper reel, or are we going to just no, keep it? No, in there? it'll. Well, I'll decide when I edit. Yeah, I guess you better. All right.